0: skeptical about custom beauty honestly y'all I totally get it my feed is flooded with customized this and personalized that all promising you know to fix all of our beauty hair and skin problems truthfully I was so skeptical when I saw this brand but I'm a total believer now when pro says custom they actually mean it their products are no gimmicks and your formula couldn't exist without you they asked like
1: Yeah.
0: and 50% off your one-of-a-kind formulas. Pros.com slash Just Break Up. Welcome to Just Break Up, the podcast about love, heartbreak, and all the relationship advice you don't want to hear. My name is Sierra Demolder,
1: And I'm Sam Blackwell. And this week, we're going to tackle topics like toxic workplace trauma, setting boundaries around drinking, And being conditioned to just give in. Mm. But before we begin, just want to give you our Surgeon General's warning, which is that we are not licensed mental health professionals. We're barely professional podcasters. My cat is literally like screaming right now, and I don't care enough to like start over.
0: (laughs) If you hear some like soft, aggressive, (laughs) sensual mewing in the background, soft and aggressive apparently is a thing.
1: (laughs) No, that's exactly right. Soft aggressive is is my like... (laughs)
0: Is my sexual preference Stop depressive <laughs> and sensual? Oh my god, it all works. Todd is—it's Todd. Todd is my sexual
1: preference. Listen, Sam's he's cat. the best boyfriend I ever had. So. <laughs> <laughs>
0: This is all to say. We are not professionals, so please take our advice as you see fit. We are just here to offer our humble musings and mewing.
1: <laughs> <laughs> nice.
0: Thank you. Um, to hopefully shed some understanding and maybe some laughs on the incredibly rewarding, but mostly confusing experience that is love. Episode 145. Can you believe it? Oh, I know.
1: What are we? What are we going to do for our sesquicentennial podcast?
0: Can't believe you know that name. (laughs) Can't believe you know that word. In
1: 1998, in Wisconsin, it was the sesquicentennial, which means the 100th anniversary of the state of Wisconsin, or 150th anniversary of the state of Wisconsin. And it was also my fourth grade year, which is the year when you learn about Wisconsin.
0: (laughs) Ah, fourth grade. (laughs) And it was like
1: (laughs) it was like all we talked about was the sesquicentennial.
0: That's funny. Cool. And yeah, I just I'll think I'll it's figure a, it out. A fun word. <laughs> <laughs> so, what's the check-in topic for today?
1: Great. So, this check-in topic is inspired by a letter mm-hmm. from Ray with a A.
0: It says Le- a Y. <laughs> <laughs> well, I'm technically the a one <laughs> that normally can't read, so I have to make fun of you for that. <laughs>
1: No, it's fine. I also said that and was like, why didn't they say a'?" <laughs> but I just totally misread that letter. Um, who's writing from somewhere stuck in my head. And basically, Ray writes to us that they um they want to know how to deal with uh their partner's bad moods. Mm. And not in like a toxic way, right? Like more in a way of recognizing that like I have my own triggers around it because of my family and of relationships I've been in, and I don't you know, I don't want to be triggered by that. And also it's just really hard for me to handle my partner's bad moods because it reminds me so much of my parents and my brother who have had substance abuse issues and the and abuse just that like, I've suffered. Like from normal people. bad
0: moods. Moods. Yeah, like just...
1: normal bad moods. Like, oh, I'm just crabby or like, oh, yeah. I don't I don't and want, want to funk. talk about it like mm-hmm. bad day at work or like whatever it is. And and really sort of struggling with like how deeply triggering that is because of the fact that they've been in like a caretaker position for their family for a long time um and i thought this was a great question for us to tackle love it because i relate hardcore so (laughs) let me
0: tell you ray with an a and a y i deeply relate (laughs) deeply deeply relate and i i think as i was prepping for this episode i was thinking this also applies to like any it doesn't have to be just a significant other however when you have that intimate relationship built up I think it triggers the sense of uh, obligation that we feel to fix other people's bad moods or that they're our fault you know like I, mm-hmm. I, I was thinking at first well this applies to anybody with bad mood because let me tell you if somebody flips me off in a parking lot I feel depressed for at least 30 minutes
1: <laughs> oh my god very different reaction <laughs> from me <laughs>
0: I feel sad. I'm like, oh my god, I did something wrong. I hurt them. No, I'm you like, know.
1: fuck that person. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I'm immediately like, double, f- double middle flip. finger up to them. Yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. Just escalating Two as quickly as wings. possible. Yeah, yeah.
0: <laughs> um, but but I, it made me reflect on how it's so. It is very unique. The the obligation that we feel to our loved ones' bad moods. You know, mm-hmm. it it is for at least for me. It, it was that my brain tells me one you've done something wrong and two this mad mo- this bad mood is not just your fault but it's your responsibility to make better which is mm-hmm. wildly irrational <laughs> logical <laughs> yes like it's a logical step that our brains take but it's just it has been a lie that i've believed for so
1: long mm. yeah no same same here you know having a a dad who had lots of mental health issues that like we never talked about mm. um Uh, It was always like it always felt like my job to make everyone feel better. Um, And so definitely relate to that and relate to the fact that, you know, Peter also has bad moods. Um, He has hard days at work. He has times when he's really crabby and doesn't want to talk about it. Um, And also relate to that feeling of like deep anxiety about it. Right. Of being like, I'm doing something wrong or it's my responsibility to fix this. Um, and that's, I just want to say that that's a really hard place to be in, right? That's a, I empathize with that and I've, I've felt that and it's something that I constantly am working on as well. So, um, it's hard. I know that it doesn't feel hard. It might feel like it's being selfish or like ridiculous or something, but, but remember that we are all products of our conditioning, right? We are all trained to do things and have emotional responses to things. Uh, and so it's just challenging. It's really hard to be in that position.
0: And I love that the letter writer articulated too that we're not talking about someone's toxic, you know, abusive Mm -hmm. manifestations Mm -hmm. of their bad moods. We're not even talking about an unstable person. We're talking about people's natural ebbs and flows in their moods because we're not going to be happy all the time. That is not a realistic expectation of ourselves and of our partners, you know? Mm -hmm. And I found, you know, it's, it's so funny how we, So much of our trauma is unpacked in safe spaces. You know, it's like I didn't realize that I had a fear of people's discomfort, of of their unhappiness until Mm. I was with someone whose unhappiness was not a threat to my wellness. You know, like my wife's bad mood is not because she's trying to manipulate me my wife's bad Mm -hmm. mood is because it's raining out and she really wanted to go biking you know (laughs) um and i had to learn that my fear response to her unhappiness like that's that's where it revealed itself really
1: Mm -hmm.
0: um i think the first thing that really helped me ground myself in in like moving through this trigger was was Really telling my, myself that my wife has a literal human right <laughs> to be in a funk. We're we're all allowed to be in a funk, and if and if I if if my healing required my wife to be in a good mood all the time, that would be unfair and unauthentic to her lived experience, you know. Mm. And so I I, I sniff that cord. With like the connection between her being happy and me feeling like safe and well. Like I I decided that they were no longer going to be so intertwined or so so connected.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah, that that makes a lot of sense. Um I have to remind myself that it's not my job to make Peter happy. Right. Yep. Like that's that's the That's the thing that I tell myself over and over again, because that's the thing that I was taught as a child is like, it's my job to make sure that people are happy. Um, But that's not the goal, right? The actual goal is to be there if he needs me, but otherwise, like, let him live his his rich emotional life. Yeah. And that the goal isn't to make him happy. The goal is to make sure that he knows that he's supported and that he can come to me if he needs things. Um, And just, like, relieving myself of that pressure tends to help me in the moment really, like, calm down, right?
0: Mm, (laughs) Totally. Take it from, like, high anxiety
1: to, (laughs) Mm -hmm. yeah, to, like, okay, well, if my only job here is to just be a supportive person and not to make him happy, right, if the measure of my success isn't Peter's happiness, but instead just the things that I can control, which is, like, showing up and being there, yeah. Um, then that makes it so much easier. And, and it's like, OK, well, I'm being successful in this, at least, mm. even if I can't fix him, which is what yes. my brain is telling me I need to do. All I need to do is to be successful is to just be here.
0: Yes. And you're you're making yourself present. You're keeping lines of communication open, but you're not necessarily doing anything to rectify this funk. You know what I mean? Yeah. Um, something else I wanted to touch on before we move on is that I know at least in my experience because of my history, it's I feel straight up like confused. That's the right word. <laughs> I feel confused when my loved ones are upset. I have to parse through my feelings to find out what's mm. justified, you know, which is to say in the past I've had a hard time figuring out what's real and what's appropriate. Like am I overreacting to my partner's discomfort and unhappiness or are they actually taking it out on me in a bad way? Do you know what I mean? Mm -hmm. Like, like trying to, I think moving through that, through that healing process can be, it can make distinguishing those boundaries, figuring out what is like what's real after the trauma, you know, it it just can be Mm -hmm. really hard. And, and something that I read a long time ago that, really helped me and i'm sorry i don't remember where i heard it but it was like when somebody's having a bad day or having a reaction you you can validate their emotions validate their anger you know their sadness but put boundaries on aggression and for Mm -hmm. me shifting the idea recognizing that anger is different than aggression or anger is different than um abuse you know and that Mm -hmm. there is there is a difference between the two it's not a A catch-all. That kind of helped me. That gave me some language to help me navigate my new boundaries in a healthy, stable relationship. Like, what is okay um, in this new, bold world, you know?
1: Mm -hmm. Yeah, absolutely. Um, And then I'll say, too, in addition to all of those things, the other thing that I remind myself is that, like, um, my partner has, like, as emotionally rich a life as I do. Right. Sometimes I think of like when I'm around people because again, because of like the conditioning, it's either like we're happy or we're mad. Right. Like those are the two emotions that that other people are capable of feeling. And if we're in the mad zone, then like we're in we're in bad situation. Right. But like that's not actually true. And Peter has a rich emotional life as I do. Peter is also has tools that he uses to help him when he's in a funk as well. Right. And trusting that remembering that like my dad didn't have those tools right like didn't have the ability to talk about these things but that doesn't mean that everyone in my life suffers from the same thing so like even if your parents and your brother used you know um substances in order to address those mental health issues doesn't mean that your partner's gonna do the same thing yeah and recognizing that that like you know remembering that like when i'm in a bad mood i might you know, like, it's fine. I'm just in a bad mood and yeah. it's okay. Yeah. Same thing can be true for Peter too, right? He can just be in a bad mood and like, not really want to do anything about it. And just like, oh yeah. And it's like, that's okay. Right. Like that's, that's
0: literally what Netflix is for.
1: <laughs> yeah, exactly. Right. Like the emotional richness that I have and the ability to sort of process and understand my emotions, like other people share that.
0: I love that. Even
1: if that hasn't been exhibited to me by, wow. by important people in my life.
0: Wow. I love this second topic. I, I will return to it in my mind. <laughs> it, I just, I love it. I think that was really great. All right. Are you ready to get into some letters? Let's do it. The first letter is from Toxic Workplace Trauma, who is writing to us from The Void. Hi, Sam and Sierra. I'm a 27 she-her writing to you from the void. First off, thank you for reading my letter. I really enjoy listening to your podcast and all the genuine helpful advice you give everyone. My letter doesn't have anything to do with a romantic relationship in particular, but instead I'm desperately trying to convince myself to break up with my toxic workplace. I originally thought about posting this on the Facebook group, but was so worried about someone from my job or a client seeing the post that I felt the need to send it directly to you guys instead. I've been at this job for almost three years but it wasn't until two years in that the rose-colored glasses came off and i realized that my boss was an egotistical narcissist as i've mentioned i know as i've been mentioned i've been struggling with whether i should break up with my current job or not it's been really difficult since since the end of last year when my boss threw me into the deep end on a project with no training no reassurance no help or no support i had a very difficult time with the project and i Didn't feel like I could approach my boss for help because every time I did, I was made to feel incompetent. When I did ask questions, he became frustrated and didn't seem to understand my explanations, aka not listening to me. I'm very bad at confrontations, and under that type of feedback, I just cave and become agreeable, which probably doesn't help the situation or communication. My self-esteem and sense of work ethic plummeted, and I became anxious and burnt out. I'm honestly not sure whether he knows how this project made me feel, and I'm too chicken to tell him about it because I'm worried he'll try to gaslight me like he does sometimes. The project finally ended at the start of the year, but a few months later, I received an email about it. Before I could even read it, my body and mind proceeded to have a panic attack. It was then that I realized that I had sustained some sort of trauma from this project. I was shocked and angry, but most of all scared scared that this project would never leave me alone and as a result i start i've started having obsessive compulsive tendencies to go over and over the project looking for errors when i haven't been asked to I've been telling myself for months now that I could make it until the end of the summer. I need the money as I'm going back to school at the beginning of the fall and trying to avoid as much debt as possible. I can't wait to quit my job when I leave for school, but I'm finding it difficult to justify leaving early when I've struggled and suffered for so long already. And I'm only 3.5 months away from my end date. If I quit now, I'll take a minimum wage job and I won't save any money and risk potentially going into more debt for school than I would like. Lastly, Even though my boss hasn't treated me very well, I still feel a tremendous amount of guilt for quitting. As many of my coworkers already left the last couple months, it feels awkward thinking about how I would have to tell him I'm quitting and am potentially leaving them in a different, difficult position. Mainly awkward as I know he would guilt me into trying to stay and ask me a lot of questions that I don't want to answer. So I guess the this ended up being more of a rant than I intended. It sounds like the answer is so obvious, but my fucked up brain won't even comprehend it. Anyway, long story short, my question is this. One, how do you leave a toxic workplace with a gaslighting boss when you, where you aren't treated fairly and equally as a colleague? Two, how do you navigate this and or justify leaving when the current job pays well and you need to, the financial stability? Three, should I tell my boss how the project from hell has affected my mental state? Any words of wisdom or advice would be much appreciated. Thanks again for everything you do. Love toxic workplace trauma. The letter writer added a P.S., which I feel like is very necessary to add. (laughs) (laughs) P.S. If I were to quit, the alternative job would most likely be a dog daycare attendant. So free dog therapy to help heal my trauma? Question mark. LOL. (laughs)
1: Love it.
0: I know. I feel like I I had to share that because, like, you're right. From our perspective, we have this heavily traumatic thing that is... May be more like I want to talk about money in a second, but like it may be more financially sound for you, but it is wearing down your soul and your self esteem and your sense of self as compared to hanging out with a bunch of dogs. <laughs> <laughs> it's not that simple, but um, you know, you paint a pretty stark picture.
1: <laughs> I love it. Let's just think about it in that black and white, yep, and then totally because that's how decision. life is. <laughs> that desi- makes the decision so much easier. <laughs> yeah.
0: So, let's let's talk about maybe money and debt a little because I feel like the hell that is capitalism is like a very particular beast because mm-hmm. you see how toxic it is in your life, you see how controlling it is this this necessity for money for for working in places that literally are unsafe for us. Um, and we also do it is I will just say it's impossible to envision a world without it. So like you're yep. you're in the belly of the beast right now. Like money, stress, debt, it's a that's a real thing. So like it's be easy on yourself. Like forgive yourself for like actually for considering that as a viability because man, we all have to make choices for our stability and our wellness. And unfortunately, a lot of them are tied directly to capitalism.
1: Mm-hmm. No, that's real. I I don't think you're, you know, you're not alone in people and wondering whether it's worth it to like submit yourself to trauma in order to like make enough money to live, right? Like that's-
0: Yeah, yuck and yeah. (laughs)
1: yeah, Like, isn't that the fun, the fun thing that capitalism has wrought? Mm -hmm. Meanwhile, Jeff Bezos makes like $30,000 a minute. Um, Eat the rich. Honestly. Uh, So yeah, like, you know, I'll say this. It is important to think about financial stuff, right? It it absolutely is important in this capitalist society to think about how we're going to live and, you know, how we're going to set ourselves up for success in the future. So I would like to place the blame for this on capitalism and not on you as being like a bad person or like mm. a person who's like willing to subject themselves to trauma in order to get a paycheck because like that's just the reality that we live in. So we,
0: we all um, do unenjoyable things to survive.
1: Absolutely. And also at the same time, taking a break from the grind and making money and to do something that you enjoy and that's going to like fill up your cup again is also not a bad decision, right? You're not a bad person from walk for or a stupid person for walking away from a job that pays more to find one that doesn't pay as much but also provides you mental health resources are like literally doesn't make you feel like you are experiencing trauma or like triggering your PTSD like there's both of these decisions are good decisions right like both of them are imperfect both of them are challenging in different ways but no matter what you pick it's gonna be a good decision for you because yeah. that's That's the reality. There's no right decision in here. There's there's no black or white in this situation. It is really just taking stock of all of the different factors that you're talking about and making the decision that's right for you. And if in two months you decide that's not the right decision, doing something different. Right. Like there's this isn't this isn't the big decision. Right. It's one of a series of decisions that you're going to make in your life that are going to impact what your life looks like and and dethroning it a little bit might make it an easier decision to make.
0: I love that. Um, I'm going to say quit that job. (laughs) I love that Sam phrased it as that there's no, both decisions will be the right decision, whatever decision you make. I totally, wildly agree. This is a podcast about our opinions. (laughs) Mm -hmm. And I'm going to say this is why I think that you should leave the job knowing that both decisions would be a fine decision to make you know, we're a relationship advice podcast. This is, this, this, this relationship is, is damaging your sense of self. It's, it's stealing joy from you. It's stealing present moments from you because you are having these obsessive compulsive thoughts. Um, it's affecting your body. Think about how trauma and stress and anxiety sit in your body. And for me, the, the, you, you're like swapping hardships, you know, if you think about it that way, that like you'd be swapping this toxic workplace for the additional financial burden um, and maybe the stress of finances, which we all know can be very debilitating. Um, mm-hmm. But I would imagine it like I am, you, the money that I'm losing, shifting jobs, I would think about it as though I am paying for some emotional uh, nurturing freedom, I'm I'm paying that money in to my wellness. And I'm going to make a weird comparison. It's like we we have a healthcare system in our country that it's not really a healthcare system. It's a sick care system. It takes care of us when we're sick. It doesn't help us um maintain wellness or health. It just comes in when you're feeling sick. But I want you to think about this summer, this time in this doggy daycare or wherever it could be because it doesn't have to be I I'm not sure why it has to be a minimum wage paying job or or like I don't know what the constraints are, you know. Mhm. But think about that time as an investment in your wellness. It's we 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 have a we have a response system in our country that only goes to uh to tr- tr- the trauma and the pain when it's happening, but but I want you to invest in your wellness. Like we're talking, like literally your mental health and your your basic life happiness. And so I would think into like losing that money is you paying into that wellness reservoir, that resiliency mm-hmm. we- reservoir. You're you're feeling tapped out. You're feeling. Um, I want you to feel great about yourself and about your life going into this next school chapter. And I'm not sure if you're going to find that piece, that inner reservoir, you're not going to fill it up at this job.
1: Absolutely. I definitely agree with that. Um, And so the question then is like, how do you how do you do this? Um, So my suggestion to you is that you just quit. So like no opportunity for conversation about this. No warning about what's happening. Right. I want you to write a letter of resignation. I want you to sign it. I want you to put it on an email and I want it to send you sent to send it to your boss saying my resignation. Right. So like I don't want I don't want there to be an opportunity for him to come in and be like, I'm gonna make you feel so guilty about this. He probably will, right? Because that's seems to be his way of operating. mm -hmm. Right. And your resignation's already in, friend. Like it's it's happening. It's you you are quitting in two weeks. You, that will be your last day. There's nothing you can do about this, right? De- leave no space for nego- negotiation in this because, um, it sounds like this person is really really good at figuring out ways to make you feel small enough that you just capitulate to what he wants, right? So, don't give him that opportunity to do that, um, because that's that's what he's gonna do.
0: I couldn't agree more.
1: And then start finding new jobs, right? Like go go apply for that, <laughs> that dy- dog daycare attendant position. Um, find some place that you want to work that's gonna fill you up, and then figure out what's gonna come next for you. You can take some time to to enjoy the fact that you are no longer stressed out, that you are no longer experiencing this like triggering trauma. And remember that, like, just because you are taking a minimum wage job for the time being doesn't mean that you're always going to be doing that. And you can, you know, figure out what is going to work really well for you that's going to be in pursuit of your career goals and also is going to pay you more money. Um, but take time, right? Take time yeah. to relax and and decompress from the stress.
0: Yeah. I, I also was just thinking, too, like, there's nothing irresponsible or blameworthy about taking a minimum wage job. A lot of times that's what's available. What's, Mm -hmm. you know, what is necessitated. And I think it is a, it is a product of capitalism that we, that we see those types of entry level jobs as less than it's also a product of Mm -hmm. capitalism that those jobs often don't provide us with the financial stability that we need, you know, like, right. it. That is an unfairness of capitalism. So, don't you internalize that narrative yep. about yourself for this summer? You know,
1: mm-hmm. absolutely. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> yeah. Eat the <for> rich. Sure. <laughs> Minimum wage jobs are um, some of the most important jobs yes. in our country, in our society, right? And and the fact that they are paid the least is horrifying. Trash. And it's just. Stupid.
0: Anyway, um, I yeah, just reiterating quickly because I want to make sure this gets hit, hit home. Sam, Sam made the great point. Do not give this person more access to you. We, we mm. like to there's a falsehood that like a lot of times working engagements, you know, you feel really close to people, you've been there for 3 years, you feel obligated to them. But remember, this is just a boss, this is just a human who's literally treating you poorly. And so put mm-hmm. that boundary up. You don't have access to me. You don't get to speak to me that way. And when if he starts berating you, you can say, you know, I I really don't feel like answering this. You have my resignation.
1: Absolutely. And I I want to humanize this person, not because I want you to feel empathy for them, but because I want oh. them to be a scary monster. Like, I, I don't want them to be them, a scary monster for you.
0: I was picturing them as a huge, like, cockroach human. Yeah. <laughs> Humanizing them, I'm like, oh, okay. <laughs> Just kidding.
1: Be- no, because I want to dethrone the power that this person has over totally. you. Totally. Right? Like,
0: totally.
1: often people who berate other people for their incompetence feel really incompetent themselves. Right Boom. and t- take it out on stuff. The fact that he wasn't supportive of you on this project may mean that he didn't know how to do this project and so couldn't give you the resources because he didn't know how to do it, right? The yeah. fact that he he makes you feel like he makes you feel like it's your fault that you a- appease him in the conversations is not about you. It's about him and the fact that he's incomp he's incapable of hearing anything that's gonna hit his ego because he's that like he is that self-conscious and that unsure of himself, right? So it's not that he's this really awesome, super competent, um amazing person who uh has all of this power and all of this control over you. He is a he is like a person who doesn't know what he's doing and is enacting yeah. his own insecurities on you, right? Yeah. Like that's cuz it especially in workplaces when there's hierarchy, it can feel like our bosses are like gods right are like people who know so everything who are so like they wouldn't be our bosses if they weren't really good and competent and I can tell you as a person who has been a manager of people you don't become a manager of people because you're good at it you just become a manager of people because like that's the next step for you yeah. <laughs> So like
0: you're just a human like everybody else
1: Right. As a manager of people, I rarely knew what I was doing. And I would like to think that I didn't enact that insecurity on the people who reported to me. But it really could have happened. Yeah. Right. And so, like, I want to tell you this not so that you, like, necessarily feel empathy or feel bad for him. Like, I still want you to be angry and and I want you to be like this. This person doesn't deserve any access to me, but I want you to. I want you to see him as an incompetent human so that you'll take what he said to you less seriously, <laughs> right? I want you to, I, think I don't it's want genius. you to I don't want you to internalize the things that he said because he's just a he's just a dude who's really bad dude. at his job, he's right? Just he's a dude. If his job is to manage you, he did a really shitty job of that. And like yeah. his incompetence doesn't say anything about you. It says everything yeah. about him.
0: Yep. All right, my darling. I think I think he, I think he hit the nail on the head with that one, Sam. <laughs> just a dude. Break up with that dude. (laughs) Reclaim your summer. Reclaim your wellness. We believe in you.
1: Absolutely. Thank you so much for writing.
0: We love you.
1: directly with top factories, Quince cuts out the cost of the middle person and passes that saving on to us.
0: And Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical and responsible manufacturing practices and premium fabrics and finishes. I love that. Y'all have heard me talk about my leather bag that I use as both a laptop bag and a diaper bag. And I love it because (laughs) 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 honestly, it looks really cute in every single circumstance that I use it.
1: Indulge in affordable luxury. Go to quince dot slash just break up for free shipping on your order and three sixty five day returns. That's q u i n c dot com slash just break up to get free shipping and three hundred and sixty five day returns. quince.com slash just All
0: right, head and heart workers. You know I'm all about tackling our money shame.
1: Use the middle person. (laughs) Just get Rocket Money in there to help you do what you need to do.
0: Stop wasting money on things you don't use. Cancel your unwanted subscriptions by going to rocketmoney.com slash justbreakup. That's rocketmoney.com slash justbreakup. rocketmoney.com slash justbreakup.
1: All right. Our next letter is from Booze Blues, who is writing from Austin, Texas. Hi, Sam and Sierra. I've been listening since November-ish of 2019, and it's finally that time when I have a burning question. Aww. I've been in a relationship with a wonderful man since July of 2020. I've never had a more healthy, conscious relationship. We have so many conversations like the one you recommend to, new- to a lot of listeners, admittedly always initiated by me, but I'm so glad he can open himself up to engage. I won't bore you with all of the details about how amazing he is because you're here to help me with the shitty part. About four months after we started dating, that. it became <laughs>
0: right. cut to the after... cheese. Yeah. <laughs> Just kidding, y'all.
1: About four months after we started dating, it became clear that I'm struggling with CPTSD from my childhood, which was able to clearly come to the surface after finally being in a healthy, non-toxic relationship where my trauma trauma patterns become extremely apparent. I started somatic experiencing therapy and I'm actively working how or actively learning how to feel safe in my body for the first time. In this journey, I've developed a huge aversion to alcohol. I used to drink and party way too much in the years leading up to 2020, which I now realize was obviously a coping mechanism. Somewhere along the line, the switch flipped and now I can hardly be around alcohol at all. I get sick every time I drink, even if it's just one drink, and I feel uncomfortable being around a bunch of people who are drinking when I'm not. It's just really not fun for me, for one, and also my body just doesn't feel safe in this environment. My boyfriend comes from a family that loves to drink and host parties. He also really loves beer and drinks it just about every day. Not like a whole six-pack or anything, but one to two at least. I wouldn't call him a full-on alcoholic, but I do see how he uses it to avoid his feelings. He's really busy, so he doesn't party that often, but once every two weeks or so when he does hang out with his friends or cousin, it always involves drinking. Not to the point of being shit-faced, but definitely quite buzzed. Whether it's at a bar or at home playing drinking games, he literally does not ever hang out with people and just chill without everyone getting at least buzzed, if not full-on drunk. I want to be clear that I do not have a moral problem with alcohol and think he or think he and his friends or family are bad people. The problem is that right now, in my healing journey, I just cannot be around it. I do hope that eventually, whether I want to partake or not, I can at least be around it without feeling like I'm in danger." There's a lot of discomfort and tension from him that I never come around his friends or family. He's not rude about it, but it's clear that he wants a partner who can be a full part of his life and show up with him to things. And I totally understand it in the beginning of our relationship before i figured out how triggering this is for me right now i did show up to hang out with friends and family and even went on a trip with them it felt very unsafe for me and that's when i decided i had to set a boundary to not be around when people are drinking heavily i've shown up for his i've showed up for his friends and family multiple times and i've only been able to get him to show up to meet my friends once in this whole relationship So that definitely makes me feel really resentful that I'm a, quote, problem for not wanting to hang around his friends and family while they're drinking when he won't meet my friends at all. I like having my friends and doing my own thing, so it doesn't bother me that he's been too nervous. But it does bother me that I feel like I'm not doing enough because I don't want to hang out with him and his friends when he won't even hang out with mine. My frustration here is that I'm not unwilling to hang out with his friends and family. I'm unwilling to hang out with them when they're drinking, and that's all they are willing to do when they're together. I've asked several times for opportunities to get to know them in a different setting so I can start feeling safe around them, sober, and perhaps break the ice. But he acts like that's just impossible, so it's never happened. I'm just feeling really confused here. I adore this man and can see such a beautiful life with him, but I'm becoming afraid that this is going to ruin it. What if I'm never able to feel safe around alcohol? I hope that's not the case, but what if? And assuming I do start feeling safe, I know that's not the life I want to live, where the only way to have fun is to binge drink." I understand that his family, that's his family and culture, but it's not the family and culture I want to raise my own family in. Addiction runs in my family, and I don't want to raise a child in the setting where alcohol is equated to fun, even if people involved are being responsible. We just keep running into this wall and having the same conversation over and over where I'm like, I'm sorry, I've had to set this boundary, but it's not my fault that there's no other options for me to hang out with y'all in a different setting. How do we negotiate this? I'm feeling lost. I've set my boundary and adhered to it, but I know he doesn't feel fulfilled, and therefore I don't, because if he wants me to be part of his circle, then I want to be, and I want to feel safe in it. I also feel so resentful when he expresses feeling awkward about making excuses why I don't show up to stuff, but I'm having to do the same thing for him, too, because he declines all my invites, and I never complain. I want to be clear that he's never made me feel bad or wrong for this or disrespected the boundary I've set. It's just more that we are stuck on how to navigate it all and running into a wall over and over again. What are your thoughts?
0: Wow. What a pickle. Um, First, thank you so much for writing booze blues um, and for trusting us with this. This is such like a, this is just like a complicated personal, um, Situation that you're stuck in, like, uh, and you did such, you took such care to articulate, you know, that your lack of judgment and your and your intentions and your boyfriend. Um, I'm just like grateful to answer this letter. Uh, one of the things I want to clarify first is I feel my my advice, like in my notes, oscillating between like um, supporting you in your in the goal that you articulated that you hope one day to be able to be around alcohol and not have it trigger you. And also, in in just telling you, like, it would be okay if you just wanted to be around sober people for the rest of your life. Like, I feel mm-hmm. a little inner conflict. Not a conflict, but, like, I feel like I'm contradicting myself. And I just want to say both of i am going to talk about weight. Like, I want to talk about how to, like, approach our triggers and how alcohol is fucking the most triggering thing ever. Um, but I also want to say, like, you know— this is a hard letter because it's it's about one of those conflicts that reoccurs and isn't changing. And so then you have to you have to figure out if there truly is a resolution that both of you can come to with work and shared effort and compromise or if this is an issue of compatibility of like mm-hmm. he will never be able to meet you where you are at. Um So yeah, just wanted to like start with maybe acknowledging that there's a there's a lot of there's a lot of nuance and complication in this letter. Even in my advice, it's like if you never wanted, if I think let's just out the gate, I'll say uh, it would be okay if you left this very loving, wonderful man because you felt like a a future with alcohol in your life was not a safe space for you. That's okay. Mm -hmm. I know it's really hard to be sober particularly it's hard to be sober in a world that really relies on alcohol it's not, not i don't want to say that it's hard to be sober it's a it's a really important loving empowering amazing thing hmm? but it's hard to be sober around drunk people like it's hard like our social lives revolve around drinking and i know that that's really challenging when so many spaces are the foundation of them is drinking bars barbecues you know what i mean parties
1: bars and barbecues yep that's right that's it <laughs> the, the two places where Bowling we hang out I'm
0: just, <laughs> all b words bears um <laughs> anyway so there's it this is just a complicated letter
1: absolutely and i think it can also be hard for folks who are people who drink to yeah. understand the ways in which it can be triggering for people, right? And I say this as a person who drinks, right? Like, I am not sober. And um, when I have, in the past particularly, like when I was in my my 20s and like alcohol was like the only thing I did, (laughs) right? Like being around people who were sober like made no sense to me. Like it just, it was like, Oh, then we can't hang out. Cool. All right, right great. Because right. like you're not gonna, you're not going to come to the bar with me, so like that that's the only place where friendship exists. I'd like right. to think that now that I'm like in my 30s, I have friends who are sober, and we like find things to do together. <laughs> and right. like also, I hang out with my friends who drink, and we don't drink to the excess every night. Um, but it can be it can be really challenging for people to understand that people aren't just like making a a annoying choice, right? Like, ugh. What what a square that they they're not drinking, but that they're actually like making a choice that is important to them, and that is like not necessarily about judging people, right? Mm -hmm. Which I think it can also come across as of like, Mm -hmm. oh, you're getting sober, which means that you think that I'm a bad person because I'm drinking, right? Even if that's not what you're doing, that could be what they're hearing. Which is to say, like, not to necessarily like undermine your feelings in this because your feelings are absolutely valid, but just to articulate the fact that. This type of incompatibility might be more challenging than just like I want the your way parents it appears. To stop your, yeah. Right. Mm-hmm. Then I want your cousins to not drink around me because there is so much baggage loaded into, as you know super well, because you are yeah. you are acknowledging the fact that alcohol is that's really such triggering a great for point. you. That other people might not a- be able to acknowledge or experience it in that way. And that's not yeah. on you, that's on on them. And not in a judgy way, just in a way of like you have different worldviews and it's it's really challenging sometimes to see outside of them.
0: I love that. I, I think that's so astute. Um, and I'll add to that complication to that complication by adding that, you know, relationships to alcohol are not universal. Like I had to learn um, that not everybody gets angry when they're drunk. You know, not everybody gets slappy. Like I had to I didn't. I just assume from my lived experience that drinking to excess meant aggression and anger and confrontation um mm-hmm. and i I had to learn that that wasn't true, so I wasn't universally unsafe in those experiences, but it's mm. totally it totally fucking makes sense that my brain was like this is unsafe I mean I've said it on the podcast a hundred times I do not. Have conversation like serious conversations with drunk people because I have been told that is my boundary. Like I just nope, it's not going to mm-hmm. happen. Um, uh, uh, similarly, you know, as our relationships to alcohol are not universal. Another issue in this is vulnerability levels in families are not universal. Meaning, and I'm not I'm not getting him off the hook in this situation at all. And I'm going to talk about that in a little bit, but. Your boyfriend's comfortability of saying to his family, like, listen, my partner has this trauma and that's why she feel it's more it's, you know, what I'm saying is the ability for him to explain to his family why a non-alcoholic space is important to you. His family, they might not share that language or that intimacy. So I'm not saying he shouldn't. You know, I'm not trying to get him off the hook for this, but like some families just don't talk the same way that we have found our own emotional healing. You know, like they Mm
1: -hmm.
0: maybe they're not there yet. Maybe they maybe they're a family that has um, a relationship to substances that is one of turning the other cheek. And so how would you start a conversation about like, hey, my partner has this relationship to alcohol and we might have... Not only a triggering relationship to alcohol, alcohol, but like maybe a problematic one, you know, like that. Maybe it would be opening a can of worms even bigger than just your interpersonal relationship.
1: It's also that
0: to be explicit, I just want to say, like, I'm not like pro that. Like, I always think people should push to vulnerability, even if their historical, uh, even if their history says n- that they don't, you know, like I'm all about like breaking family cycles. <laughs>
1: mm-hmm. Absolutely. And ahead, I also don't want to I don't want to make an assumption that your boyfriend's family is using alcohol inappropriately, too. Right. Yes, like true, it, true, true, true. it can also just be cultural. Right. It can be. Yeah. Yeah. When we're together, we throw back a few beers because that's like that's what we did. That's what our parents did. Like there's there's stuff in there, too, that can be like there's drinking alcohol isn't inherently bad. Right. And, and yeah. And so it might be. It might be just the way that the family operates and to ask them to not have alcohol around is like asking them to not have ham on Easter or something. Right. Like (laughs) there might be something that's it's just like, no, this is the this is important to us. And this is the way that we operate. Right. I think
0: that's a great way to say it.
1: So like both of those things could be true at the same time as well. Right. Yeah. Um, And. I want to make space for the fact that. There might just be here a an issue of compatibility. Yeah, and this is this is like what happens when we start putting up boundaries is that we realize the fact that like our boundaries aren't necessarily compatible with what our partner wants from us. Right. And it, yes. can, it sucks. Right. Like, no, I don't want to pretend like putting up boundaries around things that then sort of push people away or that people aren't necessarily able to meet us at. Um, I don't want to say it feels good, but it feels better than you being around things that are going to trigger you and being around situations where you feel unsafe and, and deeply uncomfortable. Um, and you put up this boundary for a reason. So if your boyfriend isn't able to meet that boundary in a way that feels good for you and your relationship, it doesn't mean that you are being absurd or ridiculous or asking for too much. And it doesn't mean that he's a bad person for not being able to meet that boundary, right? It mm-hmm. might just mean that there's an incompatibility right here about you, what he wants from his relationship and what you want from your relationship. And that that's sad. That's hard. And it sucks. Yeah. And I want to name it because I don't want us to think like one of you is to blame in this situation.
0: I totally agree. And I want to say explicitly, like, especially as a nod to your ultimate goal or your one of your goals, which is to be able to be around alcohol and not necessarily be triggered by it to this extent. um, I have changed my relationship to alcohol um, through work like that you're doing. You know, Um, I. I have altered my relationship, my triggers to it. But I am not certain that this is the environment for you to do that work. You know, it's essentially mm-hmm. like there's a lot at stake here—the success of your relationship, the to to get to know your partner's family. Um, you know, it's sort of like a lion's den for this for this unlearning that you would have to do with great gentleness for yourself. And I'm just not sure if this is the not. I'm not sure if this is the setting and, you know, trauma and alcohol is so much about our boundaries being overstepped or having no boundaries, no voice, losing ourselves, overstepping our own boundaries. It's all about the loss of that. And sobriety is about reclaiming those boundaries, rebuilding them. And I'm just not sure if this is the space where you can constantly be affirming those boundaries. Like you have to be in such a safe. I shouldn't say have to, it really helps to feel like in a safe, nurturing space when you can affirm those boundaries and also challenge them. It's like, you can't be in like an, it's 10 times harder to, to question and combat your triggers to to try to grow past them when you're, not being affirmed when you're not being affirmed Mm. in these triggers. And that brings me to the point that I wanted to avoid the most, which is I'm not sure if this is totally alcohol related. Your partner sounds like from what you've written is just not reciprocating the effort that you're putting into this conflict. And I'm going to say that like, obviously alcohol is the name of this problem, (laughs) but Mm -hmm. the insides like he doesn't hang out with your friends like he he's not meeting you halfway um he isn't trying to be sober you know like again yep. sam does such a good job of reminding us that we're like just because there's a problem we're not to blame you know we we always do that we always navel gaze and think this problem is obviously me and I have to fix it and like yes but also you're you're unpacking a lot right now and you and you need support from your partner and I'm I'm just not seeing it in this
1: huh yeah, no, absolutely. I think that there's... It's interesting to me that there's, like, the whole letter was about alcohol, but there's also this other thing underneath that's, like, he's not hanging out with your friends, right? Yeah. And it seems like that the argument tends to pivot to alcohol because of that, but but they feel to me, like, distinct, but maybe connected things. Yeah. Where it's, like, how do you have a conversation with him about this... The fact that he doesn't want to hang out with your friends and doesn't do that without it turning into a, a, a conversation about alcohol or an argument. Well, about you alcohol, don't come right? to my
0: family things or whatever. Yeah, it's not because a of this. And thing. then it's like,
1: well, because of alcohol and then like oh, alcohol, alcohol, alcohol. Right. And I wonder if if he were able to actually like meet that need that you have around actually hanging out with your friends, if it might be easier for you to figure out a way to be around people, the people that he loves in his life too, yeah. right? Like it makes me wonder if there's not some, like you said, resentment here that is below the surface that is really exacerbating this situation, right? Is making it even more of like, well, I'm uncomfortable around people who are drinking and also he's not putting any effort into meeting my friends. So like, why should I put effort into being in a place where I feel unsafe? Right. Yeah. And if there was more of a reciprocal nature to how much effort you're putting into being each other's friends and family's lives, that it might make it easier for you to figure out how to um, how to. To be in a situation where you're around drinking, but you leave early or like whatever it is that you can do to, to do that. Not saying that you should. Right. I don't. Yeah. Again, I'm totally OK with this being an issue of compatibility and like everything's really great except for this one big thing. And this is the thing that's going to make it not all work. And I wonder if there's like something else at the heart of this that that you two can talk about that might be able to help both of you get more of what you want from the relationship.
0: Totally. All right, Boozy Blues. We love you so much. We believe in you.
1: Absolutely. Thank you so much for writing.
0: All right. Our final letter comes to us from Evan Whatever, who is writing to us from Music City, USA. Trigger warning for emotional abuse. Hey, y'all. I've been having an ongoing issue in my life that seems to be bleeding into everything, and I could really use some advice solving it if you're able. I'm male and my partner is female. And while we're both attracted to the opposite sex, we're both not very straight and are attracted to the whole spectrum of wonderful people on this rock. My problem began several years ago when my partner and I broke up. I'll make a long story short. When we decided that we should part ways, she had an extremely difficult time with it, even though it was her idea. She wouldn't let me leave her, even when I found out she'd been cheating on me with my best friend. I wasn't too mad at them because I love them both and understand things aren't always black and white, but knew I needed to be on my own to process. She would not allow this and would keep me up until the sunrise every night for months until I was so exhausted that I gave in. It's been two years since then, but the way she treated me during that time made me fall out of love and I've been trying to build it back for her. There was an instance several months ago that set me back where we had another bad night in which she was berating me for hours, and I had the second panic attack of my life. She wouldn't help me as I laid there sobbing and hyperventilating on the ground, and when I came to, she tried to convince me it didn't happen. She has since apologized sincerely, and I don't think it'll ever get this bad again, but I'm not totally sure at the same time. She wants to have kids soon, and I'm afraid that she might treat them in this this way as well as in moments of anger. Normally, she's a very wonderful and loving person, but now I'm terrified of talking about anything serious with her for fear that it will go south. I'm not an angry person, and she's admitted that she's accidentally conditioned me to be feeble in moments of conflict." (laughs) Most of the time, things are great, but I've spent so many nights crying in the fetal position, getting yelled at until the sun comes up. I've told her all of this and tried to break up multiple times, but I feel like I have no power in the relationship, and I always end up questioning myself after our conversations. I feel guilty because things have been great now for a while, but those past instances have left me so fearful of a future with her. Do I trust that these things are over now, that she realizes the gravity of them? Side note, even though she says she doesn't mean it as a threat whenever I bring it up that I'm unhappy, she mentions possibly harming herself or going on medication for her mental health, which makes me feel responsible for her well-being. My friends have noticed that I'm getting depressed for the first time in my life, and I'm afraid it's my relationship. Has my partner become toxic for me, or can this all be redeemed? I appreciate you all so much, and listening to you talk every morning has been one of the highlights of this whack-ass season for me. All the love, Evan. Oh, Evan, thank you so, 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 so much for reading Um and i want to tell you like honestly and plainly with my entire heart that it actually like physically hurt to read your letter out loud not because you are causing me pain but because my art my art because my heart is like swelling with empathy and concern for you um i it and i say that so fucking bluntly because i hope you hear this letter played back and hear how no matter how good the good times are, no amount of good in the world will ever justify the level of bad that you've articulated in this letter and that you've endured, that, that you don't deserve. You don't deserve the treatment that you receive from your partner, even though it was in the past, even though she has good times. It just it is so it is so unexcusable to me. Um, And I want you to hear the seriousness and the compassion in my voice that like, I love you and you don't, you don't deserve to feel this scared.
1: Absolutely. I, the story that you told about sobbing and hyperventilating on the bathroom floor um, is just so hard to hear. Um, It's hard to hear you be in so much pain there. Um, And it's hard for you to hear too, that, that, um that you don't see that as as something that is worth leaving this person for right and that and that it feels like it feels like to you that that might be something that you deserved or something that's not worth standing up for or something that um might in some way hurt your partner if you talk about um and it it I guess it just makes me sad to see how how much how much folding has been done right how you mm. how you've been folded into this tiny space so that you don't disrupt um the 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 people around you or this this person that you're dating. Um because the what she's doing in these situations and I want to be clear about this is is emotional abuse, right? Yeah. This this constant berating, um the the keeping you up to owl hours fighting oh, yeah. so that I, you're emotionally I, exhausted and broken. That's a tactic for sure.
0: I want you to Google sleep deprivation and domestic violence
1: mm-hmm um the fact that uh she gaslit you when she denied that it happened it ever happened um is again gaslighting that's emotional abuse and that you say in your letter too um that she admits that she accidentally conditioned you to be feeble in moments of conflict that wasn't an accident right it may not have been conscious but it was intentional time that you stood up to her she she berated you she made you feel small she kept you up all night she made you collapse onto the bathroom floor in a panic attack right like she has not accidentally conditioned you to do, to behave in feeble ways towards her she has responded to any sort of standing up for yourself with emotional abuse in order to keep you from standing up to yourself for yourself mm. right and it's We can talk about whether it's conscious or not. Many abusers don't necessarily know that they're doing it and still it's happening and she is doing it intentionally to keep control of the relationship, whether or not that's conscious for her. You don't deserve any of this. You, there is nothing that you have done that warrants any of the abuse that you've received from her. And I, and I want to make that really explicitly clear and I want to state it because sometimes when we're in these types of situations, it can be, we can tell ourselves 100 reasons why this is an abuse, right? A hundred mm-hmm. reasons why this isn't actually happening, but I'm not going to let you do that in this situation, at least when you're talking to me about this. I'm right. not going to let you tell me the hundred different reasons why this is not abuse because it is. That is exactly yeah. what it is. This is yeah. textbook. This is... These examples yeah. are exactly what happens when folks are in emotionally abusive relationships.
0: Totally. And it for me it's it's hard because you're asking yourself like can we have a future? Can we get past this? Like you're seeing small glimpses of what 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 we're being told is accountability saying, Oh, I accidentally did that. I'm sorry. You know, like having good times makes us feel like, Oh, well it's it. Just so you know, that's like an extension of gaslighting. Gaslighting isn't always the present moment of making you question your own reality. It's the ripple effect. It's the, it's the aftermath, the shadow of the fact, you know, the fact that you fucking wrote in your letter, um, you're afraid to bring things up because you'll always end up questioning yourself. That's the ripple effect of gaslighting that you, that you no Mm. longer feel safe with your own reality. But anyway, I was saying, this is about you. Like, you know, can I have a future with the, the person after they've done everything? You know, there are good times, but like, I still can't, is it wrong that I can't get over it? You know, it's not about, um, it's not about in this moment. It is not about seeing the humanity of your partner, of your abuser, I'll say it, right? It's mm-hmm. not about, yep. it's about seeing yours. It's about seeing that I do not deserve to feel unsafe. It is Absolutely. my my t- time on this earth should not be spent in fear of someone who is supposed to love me. Give yourself the gift that you would give to anyone else if you saw them in this situation. I, I don't want you to see that the, The healing act in this relationship right now is not to see the extent of her humanity and see her through this toxic behavior. It's about Mm -hmm. seeing what you need to be safe, to feel safe, to feel happy. Because let me tell you, as somebody who has been in shitty, abusive relationships like Yes, there are good days, and those good days feel so good, right? They feel so, like, thank God it's a good day today, right? Okay, good. This is what their love feels like, not that other painful, painful stuff, you know? But let me tell you, being in a good relationship, being in a healthy, stable, secure, loving, explicitly not abusive, not vitriolic, not aggressive relationship, my darling, it is it is the greatest peace and warmth you will ever know, and you're not going to find mm-hmm. it here. You're not going to find it here anymore, and you deserve it.
1: Absolutely. Absolutely. That's so, that's so true. And I'll say, too, that things have not gotten better. You have just been conditioned to respond in the way she wants you to respond now. Right. Like, yeah, I think that's one of the 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 illusions that we tell ourselves about abusive relationships is that it's like, oh, it's getting better, but it, it isn't getting better. You've just learned how to not how to not make her mad. Right. Like, yeah, you have you have learned to make yourself so small that that things are good because you're not disrupting her way of being in any way or or triggering right. that anger. But that's not good. That is you diminishing yourself in the situation so much so that you can't even you can't even take up a, a modicum of space and that's right. that's not that's not a healthy place to be and you deserve so much better than that you deserve you deserve a place where you can take up a lot of space and and a place where you can meet people where they're at and have opinions about things and not be berated for them um and I'll also say too her well-being is not your responsibility and right. I know that that's really hard because you have spent a lot of time caring a lot about her well-being, right? You have, you have been taught many times in this relationship that you are responsible for it. You're responsible for her anger. You're responsible for her pain. It's all on you. But that is not true. And a narcissistic abuse tactic is to point out how, how much you are hurting the person by leaving them. Right. As a way to keep you from leaving them. (laughs) That's it's just like not to not to say that this person that you're dating doesn't have mental health issues, not to say that this person that you're dating doesn't need support in some way, but it doesn't have to be you that offers that support. And it shouldn't be. It should not be you because this is. there's no healthy, fertile place for that relationship to happen here.
0: Yeah. And you know what? Like Sam and I are all about honoring everybody right like but so if your partner wrote into us we would greet them with humanity we would greet them with compassion but you know what the first thing i would tell her is that that you need to let your partner free like you need to like free them right you need to give him the opportunity to find peace and love and joy elsewhere because you are hurting him right now and i think that you two are stuck in this cycle of abuse right that I don't know if your significant other, um, Evan will be able to break this cycle without a, a, a clean break. Do you know what I mean? Again, mm-hmm. it's not your fault, but I'm saying like if they wrote in, I would tell them to let you go. That that is the true advice that I would give them. And mm-hmm. I I wanna I want to say like TLDR, just break up. <laughs> but I, we, we know it's so much more complicated than that. And a tiny piece of advice I want to give you and, and like a little like love letter that I want to tuck in your heart right now is that when you tell them, if you decide that you want to end this relationship, when you, go, when you come to them to tell them in whatever way you need to do that to keep yourself safe, whether it be a text message, right? Or a conversation or a phone call because those... Those are okay ways to leave people when you are when you know your safety is going to be threatened. Mm-hmm. I want you to tell yourself that this is not a conversation. I'm not I'm not going to have a conversation with them about how I want to leave them. You're going to tell them that it's over and there's not going to be any debating, right? And I know right. that sounds really cold and that sounds non-communicative and not unpartnerly. But this is not going to be an opportunity for them to gaslight you into believing that this, that any of this has been justified because it hasn't been.
1: Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Absolutely. And I, I want you to have that conversation in a place or in a context where you can get yourself out of it as quickly as possible as well. Right. Yeah. Like, I don't want it to turn into a I don't want it to turn into an up all night having this conversation being berated right like i want you to to have this conversation and then find a friend to stay with go stay with family whatever your your support network looks like um because because the script that you two have been operating under for the the extent of your relationship is that you push back and she that's it does things to make you feel bad so that you stay Right. And I don't want that to I want you to break that script and you're going to have to do it by doing things differently. That's Which means that you're you're going to have to be explicit. You're going to have to be direct. You're going to have to do it in a place where she can't have access to you after it's done. And I need you to not talk to her. I need you to I need you to put as much distance psychologically, emotionally, physically between you and her as possible to disrupt that script, to stop it from repeating itself over and over and over again.
0: Evan, we're talking very confidently at you (laughs) and passionately. (laughs) Um, And now is when I meet you with a little bit more softness just to acknowledge that um, you're at one of the worst stages, like literally at one of the worst Mm. stages of, because so often abuse is the most like harmful to our lives when we are trying to unpack the aftermath when we were trying to tell ourselves what's real and not real and what's justified and not justified you know Mm -hmm. like the nasty words that they might have called us probably stung and hurt us a ton in the moment but there is nothing like the harmful aftermath that ripple effect again um and i have in the past i have described um abuse that i had endured in a relationship as slivers that I would find in myself you know mm-hmm. months years after I left that relationship I would feel like I would pull slivers of this abuse out of me and say like why am I still processing this or why am I triggered by this or what is real what is okay for me to ask for you know mm-hmm. when is it okay for me to say I feel unsafe like I so I feel so I like I'm I, my heart feel I I'm getting emotional because, like, I hate that you're in this position and I just know what, like, a tall, deep road you have ahead of me. But my, like, my darling, um, it doesn't have to feel like this. And, And it doesn't, period, like... Life feels better and clearer every day out of abusive relationships. And you do not deserve to feel unsafe um, and to question your reality. None of this is acceptable and none of this is deserved. And so the next couple months or years or days are going to be really hard, you know. Um, But there are resources out there. And most importantly, there are are people who just, who if they knew... (laughs) if your friends and your loved ones knew the details that you shared with us would come to bat for you, who they would help you with your boundaries, you know, mental health professionals, unlike Sam and I, um, I, I guess I, I don't mean to be depressing by saying like, it's, it's hard, it's a hard road to walk out of abusive relationships. Um, so the, the more important point that I'm trying to make is that there are, there are resources and there are tools um, and there are people out there that are going to make this journey a little bit lighter.
1: Absolutely. So just one more thing too. um, You might be listening to this and being like, wow, this is like an overblown response. Like this isn't abuse. (laughs) This isn't Right? Honestly, like, I could totally picture I, if I were in the situation, that's really I what I would say. I'd be like, this is an abuse. Like, I don't know what you're talking about. But I want you to remember the Evan who was lying on that bathroom floor having a panic attack, sobbing. And I want you to remember what that felt like. And I want you to remember. And I want you to 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 hold that in your heart and say to him, I know that this is abuse because I know that you didn't deserve this. Right? Even though things might be really calm right now, that moment, I want you to picture that moment and I want you to picture that person and say to him, I see you, I know that you're hurting, I know that you don't deserve this and I'm going to do something to help support you and get us out of this situation. Um, Yeah. Because this is abuse, even if it doesn't necessarily feel like it in every moment. Yeah. It is.
0: Yeah. You deserve um, protection. You deserve to protect yourself. Um, And I'm sorry that someone you love has, has put you in this position.
1: Absolutely. Evan,
0: my darling, if it's not obvious, we love you deeply and we're concerned Mm -hmm. for you. And I guess most importantly, we really believe in your ability to uh, find something that's safer and more nurturing um, and more loving because you deserve it.
1: Absolutely. Evan, we love you.
0: All right, friends, my darlings, this brings us to the blind date segment of the show. Every episode, we want to shout out something we want to set you up with. This week, we're sending you home with...
1: A book called The All-Or-Nothing Marriage, How the Best Marriages Work by Eli J. Finkel. Um, and I've talked about this book a couple of times, but never done it for a blind date. But it's basically um, written by a, a psychologist who specializes in relationships, relationships, um, and he talks about the the fact that we are in a new stage of marriage that is about um, sort of like self betterment. We started marriage was for a very very long time like marriages of convenience where it was like well you needed two people in a household because you needed children to like help you with the farm <laughs> right like yeah yeah, yeah like yeah. very basic like we were doing this uh, and you know there were aspects of it that were also political right. And then we Mm -hmm. moved into this phase of like love. So we got married for love. Who did we love the most? Um, And what he's arguing is that we're moving into a different stage of marriage, which is about the fact that we are trying to be self-fulfilled and achieve self-fulfillment in our relationships. And so our jobs is no longer just to love each other, but to also support each other in growing as people. Um, and offers like all of this really compelling evidence around it and and the ways in which our relationships have with our friends and family have changed, the ways in which technology has changed our relationships. Um, and that really, when we talk about healthy relationships, when we talk about relationships that are the most successful, um, it's really about two people coming together and, practicing ways of building each other up in pursuit of our separate and combined goals. And that that is like something that is new and something that we're not well practiced in um, mm. and offers like a lot of, of tactics and ideas for how we can practice that when the messages that we're getting about what marriage and relationships should look like are in a different era of of relationship, are focused on that relationship that's all about love Wow. Even though love is not the be-all end-all of how we actually exist in relationships these days.
0: I can't wait to read this book. You've spoken so highly of it in the past. I just put it in my um, cart. God damn it. Speaking of Jeff Bezos, I got to fucking read this. (laughs) (sighs)
1: <sighs> also blind date order from local bookstores many there of them we have websites yeah, where you can order date. things Yeah, yeah, yeah.
0: yeah, yeah. <laughs> I'm, d- I'm deleting it right now <laughs>
1: um again it's called the all or nothing marriage how the best marriages work uh, by eli j finkel awesome all right everyone thank you so much for listening you can like us on facebook and you can follow us on twitter and instagram at just breakup pod
0: you can slide into our DMs, send us your favorite relationship memes, but most importantly, you can submit your questions about all matters of the heart at JustBreakUpPod.com, which is also where you can find our merchandise.
1: Please remember to hit that follow button so that you can get a new episode every Monday exclusively exclusively on Spotify and consider supporting us on Patreon. If you support us on Patreon for as little as $5 a month, you'll get an additional bonus weekly episode as well as access to our backlog of episodes, which at this point is over 100. That's patreon.com justbreakuppod. This literally keeps the mics on and helps us reach more brokenhearted souls who need two random strangers giving them relationship advice.
0: Original music, recording, editing, producing all magical things by our good friend Spencer Worth Davis. You can check out his music on Spotify right now under the name Big Cats. And remember, even if you've justified it in the past, even if you can understand why they treated you the way they treated you, you never deserved to be disrespected, insulted, Made to feel small. You do not deserve this. You deserve warmth, understanding, someone who can listen and feel compassion for you and your needs. You deserve it. And if all else fails,
1: just break up.